Who knew in the moment? The premise of the show is that as you're living your life, very rarely do you realize the magnitude of a moment while it's happening. However, in hindsight, we can see all of the pivotal moments that led to where we're at. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich. And today I'm excited to share a little bit about my story. Uh, so I'm going to give you guys kind of the early years of Phil and uh, talk a little bit about some formidable memories that I have that uh, certainly as I reflect back on my life have been uh, really important to where I've gone and where I've become. So uh, for those of you maybe listening for a first time, um, this is episode 231 of the podcast. Um, it is a ranked in the top 2% of all podcasts in the world. And so super excited about what we're doing. Uh, but want to share a little bit about the, uh, the guy that's usually behind the scenes asking the questions. So uh, just to kick it off, originally from Wisconsin, my folks moved to Nebraska. And so I call Nebraska home. Uh, but one of the things that started early on in my life is my dad said, hey, if you want to earn some money, you got to do some extra things around the house. And so one of the tasks that he had was picking the weeds from his yard. And what I'll tell you is my dad is a smart cookie. So it was a blue bunny, uh, one gallon pail. And what would happen is if I could fill up the whole pail with weeds that I had picked from his yard, I would earn a dollar. Now, his yard was not big enough to fill up a whole one gallon pail in one picking of weeds. So what would happen is, is I would go through, I'd pick the yard, I'd fill the gallon pail up. And then it, since it wouldn't be full, I didn't get the full dollar. And then those weeds would shrivel up. <laughs> so then I would have to pick it again, you know, a week or two weeks later as the weeds would come back. And typically it would take about three picks to fill up the whole bucket, even after everything had shrunk down. So what I tell people oftentimes is at the, at the time, it was just the idea of a dollar. I really wanted it. And I was like, holy cow, I would do anything to get this dollar. Uh, if I have to do three weed picks, that would be great. And the funny part is it helped me learn, uh, you know, a great work ethic. Now, in addition to that, um, I give my dad a lot of credit for, well, my parents, uh, credit for what I know about personal finance. And not that they taught me about investing or anything like that, but what my dad did do is he said, hey, with this dollar, uh, what you need to do is you need to take a quarter of that and you need to give it to the church. Uh, you need to take a quarter of it, put it in your piggy bank, and then you can have 50 cents to go spend. Now, I didn't really grow up in a time where 50 cents could buy you anything, but it helped me learn the principle and the value of a dollar, which ended up being uh, super important as I've progressed in my career uh, with what I do today and what I do in the real estate space. So anyway, that was one of the first memories I have of working really hard to accomplish something and having work ethic to be able to accomplish it. Now, uh, my parents are both W-2 employees, so uh, my dad and my mom both have worked in the education system uh, for most of their lives. So the idea of entrepreneurship uh, was a foreign concept in my household, and you know, really as far back as we go, uh, my grandpa on my dad's side was a pastor, my grandpa on my mom's side worked at a paper mill, my grandma uh, worked at a grocery store, so there wasn't this entrepreneurial bug uh, in our household. However, uh, there was a gentleman up in Wisconsin where I'm from uh, that sold basketball cards. And I remember I, I love to spend some of the money I earned uh, on basketball cards. 
And the problem was though, sometimes you would get duplicates or you'd get cards that you didn't want. And so what I would do is I would repackage those cards and the ones I didn't want, and I would sell them. And what we would call them is a mystery pack. And so what I would use is I would use clear plastic and I would shove basketball cards into clear plastic. But inside of every um, box that I would create, I would tell people that there's one Michael Jordan card and there's one Magic Johnson card in there. And there was, I wasn't lying. Uh, but what they would do then is they would buy these cards and I would be able to get rid of some of the ones I didn't want and my duplicates. But I did have to give up some of my good ones. But the beauty of it was, is it kind of taught me this entrepreneurial thing of like, hey, if you create something and there's a demand for it, people will buy that. And so <laughs> that's really the way I, I first learned about entrepreneurship was I would sell some of my basketball cards or the ones I really didn't like. Now, I didn't always want to get rid of my Michael Jordans, but um, I felt like if I could make more money, then I could go buy additional cards and maybe I'd get more Michael Jordan cards. So that was one of the first entrepreneurial things that I ever did. Once again, when I was you know six, seven years old, I didn't really understand what entrepreneurship was, but as I reflect on it, that was kind of that first moment. Now, basketball, kind of tying into basketball cards, uh, became a really important thing for me in so many aspects of my life. And today we won't get into all of it, but uh, growing up, you know, my brother Micah uh, played basketball. And as the younger brother, you always wanted to be like the older brother. And then uh, one of my best friends, Sean, he was really good at basketball. And so uh, my brother was six years older than me and Sean was four years older than me. And so I just always wanted to be around them and play. And so I constantly was. And one day uh, there was a university in, uh, in Seward, Nebraska called Concordia University. And one day I went up there to go shoot hoops at the gym, uh, but I didn't know that the college team was having practice. And so I pulled up a chair because the doors into the gym were locked. And I pulled up a chair and I stood on the chair and I watched through this small little window uh, as they practiced. And I remember one of the guys came up to the door <laughs> right where I was standing and I had to get off my chair really quick and move it. And he got a drink and he goes, hey, would you like to come in and watch practice? And I was floored. Absolutely. I wanted to go in and watch practice. And so uh, when they asked me to come and watch practice, I showed up and I, I, I stayed for the whole practice. I just kind of sat there quietly and watched. I didn't know anyone. Well, uh, at the end of that, uh, the coach came up and said, hey, who are you? You know, and I introduced myself and I just asked how frequently they got together and practice. And he goes, well, we do it, we do it every day. And so I asked for the schedule and he goes, well, if you come tomorrow, uh, we'll practice at this time and I'll give you a schedule. And he gave that to me. And eventually I showed up every single day and I would pick up balls or I would rebound for a guy and they started really ingraining me into the system. And so I became the ball boy. And that was really where I developed this like passion and love for basketball. And that was probably around like fifth grade for me. And I was surrounded by you know, guys that were taking it very seriously. Uh, it wasn't just showing up and playing horse. It was like real basketball. And so that really tipped off um, my desire to train and to get better. I was watching these guys do intense workouts and start lifting weights. And I really wanted to figure out what would it take for me to be able to perform at the college level? So I, I ball boyed from all the way until I got to high school. And that was a really fun thing for me. Now, along the way, I also was delivering newspapers. So, uh, you know, my parents, um, I come from a very middle-class family. Uh, you know, uh, we had everything we could ever 
uh, need in life and, and a lot of the things we wanted, but certainly not everything. And so uh, there was just kind of this understanding that, hey, if you really wanted something, you would need to earn your own money to, to do that. And so uh, my brother had a paper out, so I would assist him. And then eventually I got my own paper out as well. So from like fourth grade until senior year of high school, I had a paper out where I would get up every morning and uh, kudos to my dad <laughs> or my mom. Uh, if my dad was out of town for work, uh, they would drive us, drive me to pick up the newspapers and then uh, we would fold them and then get out and get those delivered. And the funny thing was, you know, this I'm old enough where we didn't have cell phones then. And so uh, if we did have newspapers to certain people by 6 a.m., uh, they would call the house phone. And my mom always told me, you better have those newspapers out by 6 a.m. because I do not want any phone calls waking us up. And so I just I learned very early one, if you want to. Uh, wake up earlier if you want to have success you should get up early and so that finance aspect that my dad taught me with the dollar then correlated when I started making a hundred dollars right uh, because I was delivering newspapers and that really set me up to understand the principles of finances or at least where money should go how to spend it how to save it and uh, eventually how to use that and so as I look at you know the newspaper route and I look at basketball those were two things that were going on at the same time. And the beauty for me was when I would get done with my newspaper route, I would oftentimes go to the gym before I would go to uh, school. And uh, there was a guy that was the assistant coach at Concordia at the time and super nice guy, uh, you know, give him a ton of credit for everything that he taught me. He was a great mentor, uh, gave me one of my favorite books, Mind Gym, uh, one of my favorite books to this day. But I'll never forget one day, I was practicing my dribbling drills in the gym and he sometimes he would stay, sometimes he would just open up and leave. But uh, I was practicing and I was going fast, but I was never losing the basketball. And he stopped me and he goes, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm doing my dribbling drills. He goes, well, yeah, but you haven't messed up yet. I go, I know I'm doing so well, right? And he goes, I mean, you're doing well, but if you don't ever mess up, you're not going to get as good or you're not going to get better like you should and I go what, what what do you mean and he goes Phil the whole point of practicing is to push yourself as hard as you possibly can and in pushing yourself as hard as you can you you'll actually get better and if you don't ever push yourself as hard as you can you'll stay the same you won't get as good as you possibly could and so that was a really important lesson for me because that's probably like fifth grade and that was probably the first time someone had ever told me it was okay to fail because by failing or by, you know, not perfecting something, I would actually get better. And that was a lesson that once again, at the time, I probably didn't fully grasp, but today uh, I, I revel in and I think it's so important for so many to learn that um, in pursuit of getting to be really good at something, oftentimes you have to push yourself past your comfort zone. And in that past comfort zone, <laughs> we oftentimes feel uh, insecure, inadequate. And, uh, you know, I, I like the, the phrase that is, if you ever want to swim across the ocean, at some point, what you would have to do is lose sight of the shore. And, and I think that's so true in anything we do, right? Uh, as we're pursuing or attempting to get better, to get great at something, we oftentimes have to push ourselves past the comfort zone and get outside of our norm. And I think that has been something that has helped me in so many aspects of my life. Uh, but the second thing that this assistant coach did was I had a phase in life where I was a bit overweight 
And uh, he just shared with me, he goes, hey, Phil, you're out of shape, man. And at that weight, at your height, you'll never play college basketball. And once again, I was in fifth grade and I remember thinking, man, that's a little harsh, you know, <laughs> but it was the brutal honesty and it was exactly what I needed. So that started me on the journey of like working out, having a clean diet and really focusing in on uh, my ability to do everything I could to give myself the opportunity to play uh, college basketball. So about the same time, uh, my my parents were very focused on grades. So um, kudos to my mom. She's actually the first generation college graduate in her family uh, who ended up going to get a master's, going to get a doctorate. So extremely uh, successful in her credentials. And then my dad, similarly, um, you know, he had folks that had gone on to uh, college and additional degrees, but they always had this kind of focus on academic excellence and academic success. And so it was, I think, fourth or fifth grade. And, you know, you get your report card sent home with you. And I had gotten a B plus in one of my classes and the rest were all A's. And I'll never forget my parents uh, kind of sitting me down and really having a tough conversation with me in which the ultimate conversation was you're grounded because you got this B plus. And I remember being like, this is so unfair. Like I have friends that got C's and their parents are taking them on pizzas parties. And here I am uh, getting a B plus and I'm getting grounded. And uh, the one of the most com important conversations that ever transpired for me uh, with my parents was, you know, they were kind of telling me, hey, or they asked the question, well, why didn't you get an A? And I really didn't have a good answer for them, right? I was like, well, you know, I probably didn't try as hard as I could have. Uh, I probably could have put in more effort, you know, like whatever it was. And um, my, my dad just asked me a really important question. And at the time, once again, I didn't know the magnitude of it. Uh, but in hindsight, it, it's really transformed the way I look at everything. And he just asked the question, he goes, were you capable of an A? I was like, uh, yeah, I guess I would have been, I was capable of an A. I mean, I got an A in all my other classes. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was capable of it. And he goes, so that is the thing that you need to focus on. Not why didn't you, but were you capable of it? And so one thing that I share with people all the time is, you know, expectations are really difficult for a lot of people. Um, you know, people have expectations of us. We have expectations of ourselves. And I think at the end of the day, the idea of an expectation really in itself is not a bad thing. Um, I tell people frequently, uh, without my parents' high expectations, I would not be where I'm at today. I would have never reached certain levels um, of career success or personal success or personal development uh, without their nudge on, hey, here's what's possible for you. I think the problem that certain people fall into or the trap is, if you hear, well, if you don't hit this high expectation we have of you, we're not going to love you or we won't care about you as much or you're not as good of a human as, you know, X, Y, and Z person. That's where this unhealthy relationship with expectations comes from. And I've seen that with, you know, my family. I've seen that with friends. And I think that's a really important dis differentiator is the gift of high expectations is that people care about you enough that they're going to push you to get to where they think you're possible. Uh, they're going to help you, you know, strive to reach the level of success that they know you're capable of because they know uh, the skills and the abilities that you have.
On the flip side, though, if you hear, hey, if you don't hit this, if you don't get an A, then we don't love you. That's where the miss happens. And so um, I had a gentleman on the podcast early on. His name's Caleb Campbell, and he shared a really impactful story. And that was uh, he was really good at football, ended up playing in the NFL. And his mom, after one of the games in grade school, told him, wow, honey, you did such a great job. You scored so many touchdowns. I love you. And what he heard was, if I get touchdowns, you will love me. And the flip side, he also connected his head. If I don't get touchdowns, you won't love me. And so he said, that's what really fueled my desire for football was I wanted to be loved by my mom. And I thought the only way she would love me is if I was scoring touchdowns. And so that is the risk we run with these expectations is when people start misinterpreting them. And so what I would just encourage you, you know, if you're a parent out there uh, and you're wanting your child to strive for more, you want them to have the best or maybe every opportunity, even opportunities you haven't had. uh, I think it's correlating what's the expectation and what's the outcome. And what I mean by that is the reason I have the expectation that you should or could get an A is because you have all the skill sets necessary to get it. I don't have this assumption or expectation that you're going to get an A and then you're going to earn my love though. And I think that is something that as children, we don't understand and what our parents are telling us, even though your parents not saying, I won't love you if you don't get an A, but sometimes we can interpret it that way when we're young. So that would just be, you know, an encouragement to the the business leader, uh, the parent, the, the spouse, Don't tell them, hey, you need to do this if you want this from me, but tell them, hey, I know you're capable of it, um, but do you want that? And so that's a question I ask myself all the time is, um, am I capable or what more am I capable of? And that's what has continued to uh, propel me and encourage me to move forward. Now, when we um, talk about, you know, formation of habits, um, you know, I think that's so important. So for me personally, uh, you know, early mornings has always been a habit. Uh, once again, I would work out in the morning, I deliver newspapers every morning. And so that just really became a habit of my life. But I also really got to see um, a great example of my dad. You know, most mornings he would be out the house or out of the door by 630 in the morning. And usually he would come home about six or six thirty at night. And so, um, you know, the idea of a strong work ethic um, was really important to me. Now, the second thing that I saw that was subconscious to me, but now as I reflect back on it, has been really important um, is kind of that give and take that you have to have in a relationship. So, uh, you know, a little insight: my my dad originally was a pastor, and uh, after being pastoral work, decided to get into fundraising at the university level. And so when he did that, uh, my mom was a Lutheran schools teacher and she had to take some time to kind of transition and figure that out. Now, my mom went on to get her master's and she taught at the college level. And then later on, she went to get her doctorate um, and she now teaches at the college level. And I think one of the best lessons I ever learned from them is, you know, relationally, and this could be, you know, if you're married, you're in a relationship, it could just be with your friends. And that is sometimes you have to sacrifice what's best for you to make what's best for someone else or what's best for the overall dynamic. And so, uh, you know, my my mom could have been a university professor much earlier on in her life, uh, had my dad taken a back seat and given her career number one, and vice versa. My, my dad had the success that he had career-wise because my mom was willing to take 
um, a little bit of a backseat career-wise for him. And so I think that is, you know, humility and just humbleness, not humility, humbleness at its finest. Um, and just saying, you know, Hey, I'm willing to support you because I know you're capable of it. Right. Coming back to that question, what are we capable of? And I think that's super important. So that's just a word of encouragement to, you know, anyone that's in a relationship dynamic, um, or anyone that's kind of, you know, rocking and rolling through their life, um, you know, hey, what are the areas that are really important for you? And what are the uh, areas of life that, uh, you know, you can support someone else because you know what they're capable of. And sometimes we just need a little bit of nudge and encouragement uh, to be able to get there. Now, um, going into high school, uh, basketball was my thing. I absolutely loved it. And my freshman year of basketball, I, I just played on the freshman team, um, kind of had an unwritten rule, written rule at the school that our head coach had. And that was uh, freshmen don't play varsity. There's only one kid in his entire like 25 years of coaching uh, that ever made uh, varsity as a freshman. And so my freshman year was a really important year of basketball for me because it allowed me to kind of become like the number one scoring option. And I needed that boost of confidence. Really, my whole life, I was just kind of like a shooter uh, supporting some of the other guys. And then I got to freshman year of high school, and I really kind of became the scorer. And then when I got to varsity as a sophomore, a junior, and a senior, um, my roles trans translated all the time. But basketball really became something that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, you know, it was something that I excelled at. It was something that I had developed a passion for. And it was always funny because my friends would give me a hard time. Uh, they'd go to the pool and I'd go to the gym and then, you know, they'd be super tan and I wouldn't be super tan because I'd been staying in the gym all day uh, while they were out at the pool. But I didn't ever feel like I was missing out on anything uh, because I really just wanted to be great at basketball. That was what my passion was. And so um, although maybe I wasn't having all of the same social interactions, that, that didn't really bother me. I wanted to really hone in and focus on my craft. And so that's something that, you know, as I look on today in my business has been really important as well. Um, you know, there's so many opportunities that we get. And I'll be first to admit, I'm bad at saying no to things. I say yes to a lot of things, things I maybe shouldn't even say yes to. But um, the one thing I would say is that as I've been able to grow my career, um, saying no to things that really weren't going to help me get to my ultimate goal was something that I had to learn and be okay with. And I think starting with basketball and missing out on some social um, aspects of life uh, were okay with me. You know, today I don't drive the nicest car, but that's because I'd rather buy a rental real estate property than to have a nicer car. And I think though, once again, those small principles I was learning through basketball end up helping me in my full life. And the, the last tidbit I will share with you guys today, and then we'll follow up with part two, part three uh, of the later years, but is how I got into the financial planning world. Um, so once again, kind of had the entrepreneurial bug I shared with you about, you know, the basketball cards and, uh, you know, wanting to uh, pick weeds at my dad's house uh, to, to make a little extra money. But uh, we had... I went to school uh, to play basketball. That was kind of my number one decision. And then I knew I was going to focus on business. Well, I, I never loved the uh, uh, 
college world, I, you know, I kind of felt like I'd rather just go get real life experience, but I wanted to play basketball. And so my, my parents hate when I say that because they're both in education. So this is not a reflection on them. But uh, as I, as I think about that going into college, I kind of knew, Hey, I wanted to find some real life um, application and opportunity. And so I Googled top 10 financial internships in the United States and the only one that was in Nebraska uh, was in Lincoln. And so I was in a town about four, eh, 40 minutes away from the office in Lincoln. And so I cold called in and this lady named Amy, uh, shout out to Amy, uh, gets put on the phone with me and she goes, hey, uh, you know, they said you're a freshman and we, we don't hire freshmen. So if you want to call me back in two years, we would love to give you an interview at that time. To which I said, uh, you know, hey, I, I'd just love to come in and get the real life experience of an interview, especially with a firm, you know, as uh, prestigious as yours, it's top 10 internship. To which she said, all right, if you're going to drive here, that sounds good. So I drove from Seward to Lincoln uh, in Nebraska here, and I got my first interview. And after my first interview, she said, hey, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. And I'm going to move you on to interview two. So in my head, I'm like, all right, like, I think this is working well. Mind you, I don't even own a suit, guys. <laughs> I showed up in a button-down shirt, khaki pants, and a bad tie. I, I looked like I was going to homecoming, probably a little bit emo uh, style. And so anyway, though, uh, she moves me on to the second end, and I drive again from Seward to Lincoln, another 40 minutes there, 40 minutes home. And after the second interview, Amy moves me on to the third interview. And she had told me in the first interview, like, hey, we do a three interview process. Uh, so I'm going to um, move you on to the third one. And the third one I knew was where they decided, do they hire you or not hire you? And so I'm like stoked. I'm like, man, I've, I've worked my way into the rotation. Like I may actually have a chance at this. And so uh, I drive once again, another 40 minutes there uh, to interview with this guy named Dan. And Dan and I are sitting there talking. And after about two minutes of chit chat, he said to me the exact same thing Amy had said to me on the phone before I had ever interviewed. She goes, he goes, hey, Phil, you know, Amy had great things to say about you. Once again, thank you so much for interviewing with us. However, we don't hire freshmen. So just give us a call back in two years. And at that point in time, we would love to extend an offer to you. And my arrogant 19 year old self, uh, I look at the guy and like in my head, I'm sitting here like, are you kidding me? Like you asked me to drive 40 minutes to spend two minutes to tell me I didn't get the job. Like this is dumb. And anyway, I uh, said back to him uh, as, as about bluntly as I could, I said, you know, Hey, I really appreciate the, uh, the kind words and, you know, that offer in two years, but I, if you're, if you don't hire me today, like I'm not going to call back. I, I'm not going to come back. And he looked at me and he goes, all right, you're hired. And that is how I got started in the financial planning world. And so, you know, the funny thing for me was the interview still only lasted about three minutes, but it had ended at two minutes. I wouldn't have had the job and who knows where I would end up. But uh, because I was willing to, you know, stand up for myself and I, I probably had a little too much arrogance. Uh, I ended up getting the job and the opportunity uh, where I'm at 13 years later. So I, I hope something about this resonates with you, you know, either just reflecting on those early years and learning work ethic, um, the idea of having expectations and maybe 
how people's expectations have actually weighed you down in your life in a way to flip the script and have it be a positive for you, or, you know, a different way to look at expectations. And then I think the the last thing that I would, you know, hope that you took away from today is just, uh, you know, sacrifice for others. Um, you know, there's been so many people that have poured into me. Uh, I, I had a painting made when I graduated from college and it had self-made on it. And, and I always thought I was self-made because I was blazing a trail of my own in a world or in an industry that no one else in my family had ever been. And what I realized is I may have self-made that, but I certainly didn't get there on my own. There's been so many people that have been supportive and supported me uh, throughout my, my time. So I hope something about today is a great takeaway. This is part one. Uh, we'll continue on my journey, but this at least gets you up to that point. So if you ever wonder, man, why the heck is that Phil guy so so odd or weird? Uh, you can start seeing my, my younger years and how it's helped form who I am today. So thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you guys are having a great day and we'll look forward to following up again soon.